0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us on the show today is Jaz Shaw, and some of our listeners might have already signed up for his newsletter, Fintech R&R. But if not, please do so. It is brilliant. It is a must-read every week, and you will not regret it. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, so before we start, can you tell us a little bit more about your career journey and how did you get started in FinTech? I always find this fascinating because it's not like one of those you pals you say, oh, I'm gonna start in a bank, I will start in a software company. This is kind of like a mishmash of both. I still get questions by my parents
1: sometimes, like, what exactly do you do
0: again? (laughs) So tell us, how did you get started?
1: I mean, I also get that question from my parents still, uh, and it's been fifteen, sixteen years. So um, I did it. So I did a computer science degree. They still ask questions about that. They're still like, "He does something with computers." Um, so I did a computer science degree. Graduated two thousand and eight. Uh, I guess I would be considered a fintech lifer, if that's not too depressing to say. Um, so yeah, graduated two thousand and eight. The first thing I um, Was kind of intrigued about was software development in financial services, and then managed to to land a job as an on desk uh, on desk engineer for a pension fund manager. So I was kind of uh, engineering purists would say it's a bit of a hacky job because I was using Excel, Access, VBA, and .NET to kind of spin up spin up an application. uh, Very little change management and um the release management. It was write some code, compile, and if it works, give it to, you know, give it to a trader or give it to a fund manager. Um, I did that for about a year and then I uh I was accepted onto the Citibank graduate scheme in Canary Wharf. Um and I was kind of itching to do more of product development and analysis rather than day-to-day coding because Although I was, you know, I was okay at the the kind of programming side, it wasn't really scratching the itch. And I was more interested in speaking to speaking to traders, speaking to fund managers and, and kind of understanding why they wanted what they wanted. Um so that that's kind of where I started and then and then I yeah, City Bank grad scheme for four for four and a half, maybe five years, um working in and a few different teams, starting in the reference data team, which is actually more interesting than it sounds um and then moving on to the kind of the, the credit trading side which i guess people would say is the sexier side of investment banking product development um and then from city i uh, i moved to Schroeder's, a kind of uh sell side to buy side uh and then worked for worked for them for two and a half years and was looking at kind of building out their decision making uh, application building on what the, what they already had and then Three yeah, three years after I started there, Fidelity kind of poached me to do a very similar thing, but with a bit more kind of a bit more of a, a direction and vision. They had very specific ideas of what they wanted, um, and they they kind of just asked me to head up that team. And then I'm nearly I'm nearly at the end. Um, uh, <laughs> I left my job in twenty eighteen. I think it was eighteen twenty nineteen. I quit because I wanted more um, concurrent projects on the go and I realized that I didn't want to move to another company and then and then what, what would inevitably happen would be I'd do a year or two years there and I'd leave again. And I didn't want to keep doing one or two years at a company. I didn't think it was fair on the, the company and I didn't think it was fair on myself to kind of keep going through that cycle. So I kind of left and I just spoke to my network and I was like, so anyone looking for a product person, someone who knows engineering, but someone who knows product development, someone who's been in finance for, oh god, when was it? Then ten years, eleven years. Uh, got a you know got a um, interesting bit of work, and then it's it's been word of mouth from there. I've been consulting as a as a kind of product expert. I guess is the word you would use at this stage. <laughs> um, Consultant is a word that I don't like using, but it's only word that describes how I work, but I would say I'm a hands-on fintech product consultant. It's not just the word consultant with a kind of generic backing to it. Um, so yeah, that's that's my foray and sort of jump into fintech. Um, and I think probably until, yeah, that's the summary until today.
0: So you are a fintech lifer, a builder, a and I would call it a, a subject matter expert, right? Because, you know, you, you just don't talk about it. You actually built it and put yeah. it to life, which is a whole lot more than a lot of other people can say. So it's it's awesome. And, and it shows because with the newsletter that you put out, it, it there is so much depth to it. But at the same time, and and I remember I told you that before, it caught my eye because it's not just about the products. You put bits and pieces of history and culture and everything in there. The only other person I remember reading newsletter and made a similar comment was Lex. He writes it like a a poetry. There is some poetry to, to how he writes it. It's part philosopher and part, like, It's really interesting. He has a different style and you have a different style. And Matthew, he does this newsletter on ESG. That's another one I highly recommend. And I call him the ESG poet because he can boil down concepts on ESG, which unfortunately in some parts of the world is a very divisive subject. Um, and, and boil it down to like, you know, this is, this is how it is. And, and there is a elegance to it, just like how you do yours. Um, it's fascinating. I just love it. Um, anyway, that's a roundabout way of saying thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but um, so so, I'm curious, you, you have been through the trenches. You've been through a lot of different companies. You had also worked in different cities around the world. And that's one thing that always fascinates me. You're in London, which is yeah. a melting pot of sorts from, from people from all around the world. Um, I'm in the U.S. I'm in D.C. Supposedly, it's also people coming from everywhere. What's always striking is how much are our e- local ecosystem willing to take in insights from outside our city. Oftentimes in the U.S., especially when I go to fintech conferences, everything is very insulated within the U.S. This is what's happening within the U.S. We don't quite look outside. Um, so I'm curious from your perspective, from where you sit, you've been through around the world. What are some of the things that strike you the most in terms of what's happening locally in, in London, but also in different parts of the world, how are they using FinTech? How are they adopting the technology? What are they focusing on and what's different?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. Um, it's difficult to kind of distill it globally so I can just use my experience of working in, in specific cities. I mean, I, I would say firstly, in the West, I think we are, um, it is like being at a buffet. So we're, we're very spoilt i say with with what we have the options we've got um and it honestly it's like yeah in the west in the us and in the uk and and a, and a kind of across europe it it's like a it's a feast if you want to build something you could you know there's an abundance of great talent around there's the you know banking as a service options and there's now you know there's now it's not just one or two or three bass providers there's like 10 20 30 even so I would say that the the big difference I'd say, and I, I don't want to do West versus everywhere else, but it's kind of where it's kind of where I'm going at the moment. But West versus everywhere else, it's West have an abundance of um, of options and um, uh, and talent, I'd say, and and everywhere else is they're they're heading there. They're not there yet. They are heading there. Um, one one example I'd cite is I, I worked for a for an Australian client a few. Uh, a couple of years ago, and, and they were building and they have built a kind of sole trader digital banking platform, um, raises in, raises invoices, does a bit of accounting, kind of sorts out some, some element of taxes for you. They used uh, Vault as their kind of banking provider um, for licensing and for some payment options. And there weren't that many providers out there. Like there was Vault and maybe one other option they had at the time, and you know subsequently vault have gone under um so during that time they've they basically had to um, stop taking deposits and kind of move their customer funds to to another bank during that transition period so i i, I don't know of any stories of that happening in the uk where you, they've been connected to a provider or the, or in the us where they've been connected to a provider they've you know the providers gone under or or not or not even been acquired just gone and they've had to switch deposits to another provider so i guess that that's one that's one thing and then on the customer side there's just so many differences when i work with um with different kind of geographies uh, it's fascinating to me to understand how different people use um use not even use financial services just their day-to-day like habits like how they interact with other people the different cultures because that all informs what what you build like the features you build in a banking product like how you um deliver customer service like does it need to be mo- you know can it be mainly automated kind of does it have to be mainly human first um and i worked in um i worked remotely for for a, for a company in Riyadh for uh, for a year and a half, and I, just, I learned so much about the the kind of Saudi Arabian people. You know what they like, what they don't like, how they operate, and the fact that they're they're like one of the the, the biggest digital adopters on the planet. Like even more so than than many many Western cities. So it's kind of lots of it is eye opening for me. Um, but, there, but there are massive differences in the ecosystem. I guess Mat- maturity is one of them. Um, but I. I would say to a degree that could also be seen as an opportunity for for kind of new players in uh, in key geographies like you know the Middle East is a growing ecosystem, for example, Israel is a massive tech tech center, but there's there's loads of other kind of micro ecosystems growing and there's loads of opportunities for for you know bass providers to to um, to offer services to to those areas.
0: I can't agree more because I, I think what we often forget is how we use services is not just driven by age, by gender, there's a whole lot more nuance to it. And and I think that's where the opportunity is is for local players to create something that cater to the local culture. I spent a lot of time in Hong Kong, that's where I was born. And raised and um in recent years, every time when I go back, I was always amazed. I'm like, you know, we have this octopus card. It's um it's been around for more than 10 years, gosh, 10, 15, I I lose count. But people pay pay their day-to-day purchases with that card, and you know, it's a massive public transport uh uh payment system, but you know, you can you can go get you know go to 7 Eleven convenience store, you don't use cash. You just use that tap and pay and go. Um, And in recent years, you know, they have adopted Apple Pay, Apple Pay everywhere. So that is so different compared to every time when I come back to the US, it's like, oh, here is a credit card. And not only you don't Tap. you actually give it to that stranger. They take it to the back of the restaurant, they run the cart and they come back. It's kind of like, okay, wh- what are you doing with my card again? It, it's yeah. there are these nuances, right? That fascinates me. Um, and I use this example a lot with my kids. Um, when we go to Hong Kong, they have NFC watches that they use to tap and pay. We don't have that in the US. I give them cash. Um, so you know, it's it's a opportunity, if you will.
1: Um, yeah, but yeah, if- t- t- yeah so I totally agree. And I, I guess even on the on the credit card side, I yeah, coming from coming from London and going to New York or LA and and kind of going out for dinner, it's still really weird to me that one they take the card away and you don't see it. You're like, what's going on? You know, what's happened there? And they come back with the receipt, and then you're like, oh no, yeah, I'll I'll pay you now. And they give you a check and you have to sign it. And I'm like, what? You don't have... And an obviously, you know, co- contactless adoption is, is increasing in the US, but it's it's still... In the UK, everyone's like contactless. That like They get their card ready to tap if it's under under £100. They're ready to tap. If they see a piece of paper, they they don't expect to, to sign. Pen doesn't come out at all. That doesn't factor into it. So I'm still weirded out. Like I, I went last year and I was like, why are we still signing for stuff? It's... it's <laughs>
0: You know you can draw that. Mickey Mouse; they'll be okay with that. I'm doing <laughs> that, <laughs> and,
1: but not, but but not in the tip section. Because if you draw Mickey Mouse in the tip section, you will be in big trouble. Oh, that's what I do. That's yes. what I do. Like
0: that—that is a whole different discussion. I think Chris gonna uh, open up a can of worms <laughs> recently. But it is—it it also speaks to to social differences too, right? And and how people get paid and what they get paid, and. And I think it's those nuances that we tend to forget, you know, we think, well, you know, we just take this product, lift it and put it somewhere else and scale it. No, it doesn't work that way because every single local e- ecosystem is different. Um, and I think there are things we can learn from it, um, which I think it, that's the fun part about it. So speaking of this is perfect for the next question I have because, you know, we, you built product and we talk about people using product, but how important is product expertise in organizations when you're building fintech applications or practically any digital application for that matter it's not just ones and zeros right
1: yeah i mean i mean just just jumping off the back of your your last point like the nuances are, are really important you have to know who you're building for and lots of that responsibility kind of falls on falls on products and that that can form different you know Various different guises, of various different sizes of organizations. If you're a brand new, um, brand new startup, like two founders, founder co-founder, you've got an idea. Often, one of those founders is is like the product person. Um, you know, they've done some research. They'll they'll go, do, they'll go do some surveys. Ideally, they'll do qualitative surveys, quantitative surveys. Look at the research. Figure out what they what they want and need to build. Or they already know you know they're embedded in in the problem space um, so good you see loads of great fintech uh use cases where the founder used you know was like like the founders of wise, for example, they were you know non uh non brit born and they were in London and they were trying of trying to trying to kind of move money back into euros and they were like, oh, this is a struggle, and that's where they came up with the idea of wise they' were like it's got to be an easy way of doing this without you know, without having fees. So sometimes you're in the area and you know it, but having that product expertise, whether you're the founder and you're kind of doing the research and understanding the problem space um, is vital because again, like you said, you need to understand who you're building for first. You need to understand why you're building. So that kind of goes back to kind of product vision and product strategy. And then the, the kind of roadmap and backlog and, you know, working with people day to day is more goes into the, the how Of the build, Um, and then also product. It kind of it overlaps um, overlaps lots of other teams inside the organization. And as the organization grows, you you do need that specific product expertise. Whether it's one person, um, you know, senior product product manager or product manager who's kind of early stage, or you get into bigger organizations, you've got chief product officer. You need you need someone to manage manager team and, and interact with like operations customer success uh marketing sales that that's a key one um but you know even even finance to a degree you have to understand right what's the pricing model of this product going to be to make sure that we you know we figure out the the best pricing position so that we've got enough runway for for six months and we use our revenue to to kind of build out the product for a bit there's there's lots of huge overlap and you can't you often can't do that without that that product expertise. Um, and obviously experience, like well, the more experienced someone is, the, the kind of the better that um, the better that, that fares in the long run.
0: It's almost like um cooking and putting a dish together. You need to have people with the vision of how it's going to look like in the end. And then you need people in the middle to put the different pizza and pots together. Sorry, I, I love food. So <laughs> I use that as an analogy. Um, speaking of Going back to one of the original things I said, I I read your post. I love your post. Um, and one of your recent ones caught my eye. It's about perhaps and why payments are the golden glue. That was the one with the um, uh, was it Japanese?
1: Yeah, um, K- K- Kintsugi. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and and yeah. I'm like,
0: wow. Okay, this is this is cool. Um, I love that topic because that's something that we took notice. When super apps took off quite a few years ago, it was in Asia. I remember, um, on a trip to China, I got yelled at by a taxi driver. I had absolutely no idea what he said, but bits and parts of it. And my colleague told me that he was upset. I wasn't using a payment app to pay him. I had to pay him in cash. Well, because the app did not take American credit cards. Um, and then subsequently I, I just could not understand why everyone is just walking around with the phone and the QR code. Um, and it wasn't just payments. It was many different parts of their lives. It was all within that app and the phone. Um, And of course, that was quite a few years ago. And I remember coming back and telling people, they're like, yeah, okay, so it's QR code, so what? (laughs) Uh, It's fascinating because it's not just the code as a payment, it's what it enables the entire ecosystem and how people live and how they use technology to make everything work. And it's the data that flows through all the different parts of their actions. That was the fascinating part. I am curious, walk us through why we're still seeing that gap right now, because we're still talking about it. You wrote about it. Um, It's been a while. What is the closest that we have in here, if anything? Um,
1: I mean, (laughs) I think it's, I think the answer is if anything, because we don't, There's not really anything close to to like you know, WeChat, AliPay, Grab, Gojek, Line, Paint. There's 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 nothing really close like Kareem in in the the Emirates. There's nothing really that close. I think the closest, and this is what I uh, just through doing some research. The closest is is Revolut, but it it's it's nowhere near what any of these. apps in uh, in Asia, uh, sorry, East Asia, South Asia, Middle East, um, like places like Indonesia and South America, it's nothing, nothing close to to what what those folks have. And and I was trying to in the article, I kind of tried. To, I'm not going to ref- keep referring back to the to the article, but I have done some other research. Um, I I was trying to dive into it, and it's not it's not crystal clear, but the the kind of two key areas. Uh, two key reasons why I don't think it's it's here yet, but but I think it will is again in the West. I'm gonna I'm not drawing this line because it's a fight, but in the in the West uh, there is a tendency for kind of you know regulated entities, but you know known monopolies. So companies don't tend to have there doesn't tend to be one company that just does everything, and so in the West we're not used to. You know, one company doing everything. Like, for example, in India, Tata, they do everything. They do everything. And in India, there's there's now a you know there's Paytm, which is which is a super app. and And I think one of the reasons that they're used to it is is because they're used to Tata providing everything. And I think it's very similar in in East Asia, and I think it's very similar in um, in areas like the Middle East and uh, and to a degree S- South America. And I think the other point is to your uh, to the point you raise about data is is trust i think we are we're a bit less trusting of one company having all of our data now i think that's personally i think that's a bit of a uh, a kind of psychological fallacy because we all you know i have an iphone so i don't think i can sit on this high horse and talk about oh, you know, I wouldn't get super app because of data sharing issues. Well, I've got, I've effectively got a super phone, which has access to all of that data, all of my analytics. Um, so I think those are the two main issues, like the the kind of monopolization regulatory conglomerate factor, and then trust. I think both of those will slowly um, will slowly erode in people's minds. Uh, and I think Revolut, for example, you know, there's, they've got—I think they've got thirty million, thirty um, 30 million users, uh, 20, twenty-nine million users, and I think they've got kind of—they've got this hundred million global target of of customers. And I think their model, like the way they're adding more financial services to their stack, is is the right way of doing it. And then also supplementing with lifestyle, I think that they are very adjacent services. And that's a good step into, into the super app space. Uh, and I, but but I, think, I think one of the key things is, and again, I think I mentioned it in my article, is, is pairing up services like, for example, messaging. Messaging and payments would be a, a kind of really easy transition into, into super app territory. Uh, WhatsApp have, you know, they've launched this kind of in, in WhatsApp payment services in South America. And I, I think it's a matter of time before they do it in, in the West, in the UK, in the US, because probably in the UK more so than the US, because I, I know personally that more, there are more percentage, you know, UK users of WhatsApp than there are in the US, which again is is a weird little cultural nuance that I don't really understand. <laughs> um, but I think WhatsApp will be that transitionary, like people request payments, like in in a group chat when they say, oh, you owe me £30 for this holiday. It will just be like payment link, create a payment link, and then you pay it, you add a card up front, and then you you don't constantly add cards, you add a card once, and when you want to pay, you pay and you verify with Face ID or you verify with a code, that's it, done. It's
0: like Apple Cash. Um, I use it with with iMessage in here, and I agree with you. I don't understand why people don't use WhatsApp in here. All of my WhatsApp contacts are back in Asia and Europe, and I use it yeah. every day. That's how I communicate and share stuff with my friends outside of the US, and that's what I yeah. use with my parents. We're like on WhatsApp every day. We have groups, mini groups. Um, but TBA. I, 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 <laughs> but you're, you're you're absolutely right. You know, messaging makes it stick. Right, guts. That's where we live. Um, that's our social life, and ad- adding payments on that, just like a no brainer, isn't? Doesn't India take WhatsApp payments too? I can't remember. I lose track. I I don't know.
1: I don't. Th- I don't think so.
0: Okay. Cause I thought for a while they wanted to do that, but I, I lost track of where it is. Um, that's a whole different discussion topic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, India is fascinating. Um, we you know with regards to how many people there are, what they adopt and the various changes and, and standards that's there. Um, we don't quite have that in here. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. Like Apple, I, my entire life is Apple ecosystem. They know everything. And you know, what's the other one? Google between Apple and Google. Yeah. They know everything about me more than I know about myself.
1: (laughs) It's, it's scary how someone who is, you know, I'm a techie, so I kind of know how this stuff works, but I've just let myself be taken over. (laughs) Just slowly, slowly, like day by day, it's just happened. And now I'm like, oh, I use Google, you know, Google authentication for everything. I'm like, oh, what happens if I need to cancel my Google account? I'm like, not there I'm, yet. I don't know
0: what to do. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah. not there yet. <laughs> not there yet. I'm not there yet. I still, I still like my private browsing for the most part. Yeah. It gets painful because you have to, you know, re in and re-authenticate. But I am not quite there yet. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I know resistance is futile. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm... Okay, So I'm curious to know, in your point of view, um, given where we are right now, security concerns aside, oh gosh, that's a big, that's a big topic. Um, what are some of the the top things that you think we should be paying more attention to as a fintech ecosystem, but we're not? Because we're doing a lot of things, right? It feels like we're doing a lot of things. Um, but every time when I step back and think, I'm like, have we really done enough? I would say no we haven't and there are lots of things that we should be doing more. Um curious to hear from your point of view what are some of those things?
1: Um again that's a really good question. It's difficult. I mean uh, I think I think in asking that question we're kind of I think that's a good question to ask to to at least move start moving forwards. Um but I think in asking that question it's it's kind of like we have done some good stuff. Uh I guess I guess what we haven't done is things like Look at the unbanked population. You know, lots of the fintechs I've worked on, they they do help in specific customer niches, but there's loads of there's loads of people who still don't have have access to financial services. So, in fintech, we tend to build, build and uh, kind of replace and improve things that have already existed for the same, usually the same group. And I think that's what we need to get a bit better at. We need to kind of and I think that I think that goes back to inclusion. I think I think it, that kind of stuff eventually goes back to inclusion. It goes back to roots, and it goes back to education, because you have to step back and back and back and back and figure out. Well, you know, lots of again, like I said before, lots of fintechs that get created they get created because someone's like, oh, I I want to pay you, and you know, you want to pay me. How do we do this? And it's like, well, we have to have more more people from diverse areas in those situations so that they can solve. Um, they can solve the problems that they have for their groups and their niches instead of you know trying to just onboard everyone into into the same banking stack because I don't think it's I don't think it's one size fits all in terms of banking services. Um so I think that's something we'll probably need to look at, you know, diversity, inclusion, and getting people into that uh, into the into that ecosystem. I think I had a chat with someone on or like a you know I say chat. Chat is a loose term when you're on Twitter. Uh I had a back and forth, back and forth with with someone about um uh funding and founders, and I think I just said, you know I think we need some sort of like founder trust score because there's you know seems like some founders just are implicitly trusted even though they fail over and over and over and over again, and they're kind of you know a little bit i'd say sketchy um and then in my head, I thought, well, you know I don't think a uh, you know a founder from let's say a more diverse background would have more opportunities to f up and get funded on you know you know repeat repeat funding. It's like going to a store and your cars decline, but they give you the goods anyway you're like you don't, that doesn't happen multiple times if you're a you know a founder from a diverse background. so I think again it goes back to maybe it goes back to VC funding as well. Um which maybe comes full circle with, with, with our conversation right now, but i think i think yeah that that's that's one key thing i think going back to like techie stuff and and rails i'm i've been quite bullish on open banking for for whenever it was in the u k twenty eighteen when it when it kind of um kicked off in the u k um and i i think there's lots of opportunities to uh for UK OBI OBIE and the UK and beyond to add more uh more data points and, and maybe more breadth of data on on the open banking rails. I this might be a, a, a far out suggestion, but rather than have credit ratings hoarded by big four, as we as we do here, there is an option to have a credit rating pushed via an open banking API, which you know which would mean that a Fintech building something wouldn't have to have two API calls to kind of to solve one problem they have to get their banking bank account details and transactions then they have to go make a call to Experian transUnion and get someone's credit rating and then maybe they disperse finance. You could really have that via one API um, or one API call just means things like lower cost and you know. Faster time to to dispersing finance, especially for for people like SMEs, and you know, for, especially right now when SMEs are really really squeezed, we're talking they need finance like sometimes hour to hour, day to day. It's it's not it's not they can wait weeks. It's they need it today. Otherwise, they don't they can't play their supplier, and then su- supply chain's broken, and then the bu- the business goes under. So I think. I think that's a key thing, looking at open banking, um, kind of increasing the scope of open banking rails uh, and increasing the, the data, the data, the quality of data and the breadth of data that's on there. I think it's, it's still mostly current accounts. I think it's, it's starting to include savings and credit products. Um, I think like if you include pensions, mortgages and investments, uh, then I think it, it's really starting then to cover all bases. It also helps It also helps those PFM apps, you know, the PFM apps that are they're, they're essentially account aggregators. It helps them actually give a true picture of what is this person's financial situation. And then they can add their expertise and say, right, you're in this situation. You're 45 years old, 50 years old. You've put no money into a pension. Our first step is if you want to be more tax efficient, you need to create a pension. Here we can refer you to three providers. Based on your situation, who are the best? You know, open the account. We get a referral kickback, but actually, we're helping you because we know in twenty years this is what you will need. Most state pensions don't really cut it. You can't live on a state pension. Most most people, to be honest. So, yeah, that's that's. I think that's one and two. Long, really long (laughs) winded. Um, and then I guess the last one is, I mean, if we're playing fintech bingo. I have to say, embedded finance, (laughs) because, and it's not it's not embedded finance as a whole. It's more. I think we need to pay attention to the use cases for embedded finance a bit more, uh, in a bit more depth, and in doing that, I think fintechs have a responsibility to if they are looking at embedded in their finance uh, offering into. Someone else's application they need to bring expertise into the organization from from that from that type of organization so for example, if like i'm a revenue a revenue based finance provider who disperses finance based on e commerce performance and sales ledger, then I should want to employ someone who has either run an e-commerce store before or has worked for an e-commerce platform before, knows business that business inside out, knows what those SMEs and, and uh, providers and e-commerce stores want and need, and kind of cross-pollinate your fintech team with people who have those expertise instead of maybe forcing financial services into areas without really really understanding the problem, which maybe that's my product kind of, hat on actually trying to you know solve problems and and solve jobs that exist rather than rather than creating the illusion of a problem that exists and trying to service that illusion of a problem. but yeah like cross-pollinating your team with people from those expertise i, th- I think another example is like if you if you're a car finance provider you like you need experts in that industry to be part of your team and not just finance and fintech experts but You know, people who understand the car industry, supply chain, like what consumers want and need, um, all that kind of stuff I think is really important. So it's not just a you know wasn't just a keyword to try and to try and
0: I especially to that last point, I absolutely agree. I recently had a conversation with someone that it feels the industry feels so insulated in some ways that we overvalue certain backgrounds that, you know, whatever it is that you do, you have to make sure you check the box. One of them is you had work for a bank or in banking. Otherwise your value does not matter. And, and, and I, I truly do believe that to make the ecosystem better, you need the subject matter expertise from the areas that you're trying to serve. Otherwise Like you say, you're forcing something onto a different area that perhaps you have no business to be, and you need to know how they're using the services. You need to know what they need and what's lacking, and you need to know the behaviors and and all of that, and the businesses. How is the business run before you can actually embed yourself in there? Um, There's a lot of value to it. I, I don't yeah. think we're paying enough attention. So thank you for that, and I just got a crash course on open banking. So thank you. <laughs> um, there is a lot of nuance to it. Um, we'll never see it in here in the US, by the way. But yeah, not not quite
1: uh, yet. <laughs> not not quite yet. I think not quite yet. Uh, I, I think there are. I think there are plans to copy the UK's model, and, and I guess. You know, the UK's model is kind of being copied in various areas, which, uh-huh. is, which is which is a good thing. But I think the US is probably next on the radar. I would not be surprised if you had something like that in the next two years.
0: You know how long it takes for us to get anything? Oh, yeah, that's,
1: actually, yeah, that's true. That.
0: <laughs> that's a whole different... I mean, <laughs> yeah. there are yeah. so many examples of that. Let's use AI for an example. You guys are way ahead of us um, already. I, I saw the recent news on, you know, use cases and biometrics and data, what would... Uh, what can be used, what use cases cannot be used. We're still a wild, wild west in here. And I think a yeah. lot of that comes down to, you know, people, people say, well, you know, because our infrastructure is is so established. Well, you guys are too, right? Um, I, I think it's the mindset that's a little different. Legislation yeah. is a little different and we are a country with 50 countries. So that makes it a little bit harder <laughs> to, to say the yeah. least, but, um, but I cannot let you go. I know we have to wrap, but I cannot let you go without talking about generative AI because that's, that's, that's what everyone is talking about. Everywhere I yeah. go, it doesn't matter if I'm in a tech conference and a fintech conference, or I can't escape Twitter without seeing anything about generative AI. Um, I am skeptical. I'm just going to come out and say, it. I'm skeptical on where we can deploy it. I'm not saying that technology is not whimsical and interesting, but I'm skeptical in what role it can play in a highly regulated industry. That does something really unique and important, but um, I'm curious to hear from you, what role do you think it could play in the
1: next few years that we can see? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it could... In bold and italics play a massive role. But disclaimers, disclaimers, disclaimers. Well, I'm just thinking back to three years ago when I was listening to podcasts about Bitcoin and crypto, and people saying in three years there'll be no banking services; it'll all be on blockchain. And so I don't want to be referenced. I don't want to be referenced in three years and uh, clipped up and turned into a meme. So I'm going to disclaimer everything I'm saying. <laughs> with, um, I think, yeah, there's. There's loads of massive applications for for AI. It, it, even now, even though there's you know financial services are regulated entity, there's, there's loads of there's loads of applications of AI in the back end of lots of companies. So, for example, you know I, I know loads of people using AI for um, creating marketing materials or proofreading documents and proofreading social posts and um, helping with task management. You know they you know they've got Hundred and fifty tasks on their on their to do lists, and they use AI to kind of organise their task list. Um, but pro- probably a sooner use case is, is just the something that we're probably already a little bit used to, which is chatbots and uh, that that kind of customer support, customer services interaction. So I think the the more we get used to that, I think the the better, um, the more likely that AI will will be a big part of. Uh, the customer service process. I think the other thing is it, it's more joining up the the technology and the front end through you know through an interface with all of the information that lots of companies have on their internal confluences, but aren't necessarily translated into customer-facing resources. Um, uh, and even a lot of time, uh, uh, bigger organisations especially, this is. This is usually a bigger problem at bigger organizations, but even at smaller fintechs, you'll have a load of knowledge. You'll have them in an internal confluence. You have engineering conflu- confluences, product confluence. Uh, not trying to big up confluence. Confluence is all right as a tool, <laughs> Google Sheets, let's say. Um, but using AI as as that kind of bridge to access the data without sharing any sensitive information, like usually a, a human person would go through, screen that think about a question and create an f a q then the f a q goes on the f a q s list and then you know via intercom or something that if you ask intercom a question it'll kind of say yep yeah, here's an f a q for that so i th- i think that's a that's a really early probably less than three year three year three year view on it i think looking forwards i think things like personal finance management i think i think that's the biggest like Just having AI look at all your transactions, you just ask it questions, as you would, like, instead of going through a transaction list and looking at categories saying, where can I cut back spending next month? I want to go on holiday to Greece in a year's time. I need to save £1,500. What can I cull? And instead of you manually going through, here's my spend, Uh, here's my mortgage, like my mortgage or my rent, here's my bills, it could just go through, screen all your transactions and, and say... Here's where you think. Here's where I think you could be doing better, and based on like millions of other data inputs, um, here's where you should cut back. Or here's you know here's some alternatives to what, what where you currently spend that would be cheaper. Which would be over the course of twelve months, you would save the amount of money required for you to do this thing that you want to do. So I think, I think that's like right now, and then next, and then I guess I guess later. It's I guess we're talking. You could build a fintech through AI potentially. I don't know. That's um, okay, not that, <laughs> That's a little bit scarier. <laughs> it's scary, but it, it's not. It's not beyond the realms of possibility because, uh, like, I know people who would. They're asking very specific questions, but they're still generating Python code that can be compiled, and Python code with some HTML and creating a web page where you where you basically create an application within a couple of hours, so. It, Again, it's not it's not beyond the realms of possibility to say, here's Temenos's API, here's Marquetta's API, here's Mambo's API, using all these APIs and using Figma, build me two screens, one that shows transactions top to bottom, you know, most recent to oldest, and some sort of card screen where I can freeze my card. Da, 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 da. I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that. Within the next year or so, we could we could see something like that. I think. There, I mean, there's obviously going to be UI issues. Again, I'm not talking myself out of a job. You still need product people in that role. You still need to, you still need to know who you're building for, and you still, therefore, you know, need that input to ask the right questions. Mm. So you still need the product expertise. Um, but I think you will probably need less actual people. Building, uh, building. Let's say an MVP. And, and it, could, it could just be build the MVP, and then you have five new engineers come in, and a couple of product people and some marketing people to kind of to build around it. I don't think it replace the the human element um, entirely, but I think it's more, you know, the the core of stuff, the the basics of stuff. I think it could probably do right now.
0: That I do agree with. I think we always need to still keep humans in the loop, but there are things that they can, the technology can be used to help us do things more efficiently and faster and perhaps different iterations to help us get to where we need to be. Um, that I do, I do look forward to one of these days. And, and I remember, I think the last time I wrote about a similar topic was quite a few years ago. One of these days, AI will be able to tell me, based on all the data that I have, just like what you were saying with open banking that you know is lacking certain data sets, if there is a way that I can use AI as a technology and looking at all facets of my life, not just my life, but my extended family, my children, my parents, and my own retirement, what have you, and help me make the right decisions at the time when I need it that would be perfect because right now everything is looking at it as a silo, right? It helps me yeah. determine my finances for me. But what about my children? Who's going to be going to college in, you know, five years and eight years. What about my parents who are in their late seventies, living in a different country who will have different needs. And what about me? Um, you know, can I ever retire and based on my income and expenses and all of that, what can I do? I think that's the more complex part of, personal finance that I think we can use technology to help tackle. Cause those are huge questions. Um, yeah. And as you said, none of us are, you know, going to be able to survive on pension.
1: <laughs> so chance, no. we, need,
0: we need help. We need help. Yeah. Um, but this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today um, and sharing your time with us. Um, appreciate it. And for the rest of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you all next week.